So this morning I uh, went to the British Bulldog, which is a bar in Denver, to watch the Six Nations, mm-hmm. Ireland versus uh, France. Last year, France mm-hmm. beat all the other teams. Um, so and rugby, right? Rug rugby, yep. And this yeah. this year, uh, so Ireland only lost because of one lucky play last year. So this morning, I went to watch with the other rug, rugby guys, and I it was my first time going to the British Bulldog. That's the name of the bar, mm-hmm. and uh, I ordered the ribeye scramble, which is like a mm-hmm. ribeye like steak mm-hmm. with two scrambled eggs and then smothered in hollandaise sauce. I love hollandaise sauce. Um, it was so good. Yeah, you're going to have to take... When I come visit Denver, you're going to have to take me there. Yeah, it's uh, not a great part of town. I'll probably never go back unless it's... Oh, really? Where, where was it? Was it on Broadway? Yeah, Broadway. Um, like, like Broadway, Broadway and what? 20th, roughly. Oh, Okay. Like right in the heart of downtown Denver, kind of yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I was thinking it might have been down the street near like all, where all those Irish bars are, and um, you know, more like where Sixth Avenue meets Broadway, mm-hmm. and then south of there. That's where I would have guessed it was. It's way up, like on twentieth, huh? Okay, yep. yeah. So my team's bar is down on like uh, near Allo. Alameda and Broadway, yeah. uh, the Irish Rover, but they are, they don't open. That's what it is. I was like the Irish Rover. I couldn't remember if that was here in Massachusetts or there because they have a they have a Irish bar not too far from where are I live. Are you saying that Boston has a an Irish population? Oh, a huge Irish population. Actually, it's kind of like you know what's so interesting about Boston um, in the whole in all of Massachusetts. It reminds me a lot of. Belgium uh and in Europe uh Belgium is where the United Nations is and there are people from all different countries coming to that one location so you never know if you're going to be talking to somebody in English French uh German or mm-hmm. Dutch you just you just, you have no idea you just have to figure it out yeah and up here in Boston so Boston's the first multicultural place I've ever ever lived where there are multiple languages in multiple sustained cultures all in one location. So there's a very strong Brazilian population in Massachusetts, and they maintain a lot of the traditions and celebrations and language of Brazil. Uh, They all speak Portuguese. They have their own restaurants. They have their own grocery stores. Uh, Then there's a lot of people who from Colombia, the Dominican, Puerto Rico. uh, And then you've got the Irish um, which is like classic Boston. You've got the Italians, which is on the north end, and the Irish are on the south end, and they don't really, Southie. yeah, the Southie. They don't, they don't really, uh, at least as far as I can tell, they don't really get together uh, too often. Hmm. They have very, very distinct Boston accents, which are different. And oh, it's, I bet it's, it's super interesting to live in a truly multicultural place. But there are a lot of Irish bars all over the place. Wherever you are around the world, you'll find an Irish pub. <laughs> Good lady. Um, yeah, you. Yeah, you will. Yeah. So I went. I the only reason I was there so early is because uh, ki- kickoff was at seven fifteen in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, who are the Six Nations? 
So it's Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, France, and Italy. Okay. The tournament has been going on, I think, like 80 years now. Originally, it was called the Home Nations, which was Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and England. Kind of like, uh-huh. the, you know, the aisles where rugby started. But over the years, they've uh, they went to the five nations and now, now six nations. Oh, okay. I don't think I knew that rugby started over there. In at rugby school in uh, England. In England. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't originally a Scottish or an Irish sport. It was originally an English sport. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's so interesting. I did. I didn't know that. And I think that's before. I think that's before Scotland was its own nation. Huh? Because that would have been like eighteen forties, roughly. Yeah. Somewhere in okay. there. So. Oh, so it's not that old either. I mean, sure. Older than most sports that we play today. Older than American football. Well, it was way old. I know, but like rugby, I just assumed rugby was kind of like soccer. Not nearly as popular, but like soccer. It was just like everyone everywhere played it, and they've played it forever. But Gotcha. Hey. hey. It is a very popular sport worldwide. It's just in the United States mostly that people kind of ignore it. Yeah, but no surprise. Well, yeah. <laughs> no surprise. So... Are we recording? We yeah, we've been recording for five that's minutes. What, that's what I thought. I was like, I see the little thing going. I'm like, hey, I, th- I think we might be recording. Yep, it's oh, meant yeah. to be a conversation, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, I do this on my podcast. That's the way to do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. This is Keaton. Keaton, how Hi. are you? Oh, fantastic! Living the dream, one day at a time, here in Massachusetts. Where it feels like I've been here for five years, but I've only been here for four months. Yeah, your room looks a little, you know. This is not my room, actually. So this is actually my brother-in-law's old bedroom. Okay. Um, It's the only room in the entire house that has carpet floors and eight-foot ceilings. Everything else has really old wood floors and 10-foot ceilings. And so all you get is a lot of echo. Yeah. Echo, 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 echo. So I... I was like, I'm going to, for this recording, I'm going to go into his room. I shut the door. I've got this gigantic bed that my computer is sitting on. I put my microphone on the my hamper. I've got some books. Um, but yeah, this is his room that he lived in in high school and college. And it's great for uh, recording podcasts. Hey, it works. It works. I am trying to talk as loud as I can. and That's good. Like, look at our sound waves, though. Yours are way higher than mine. Well, I don't, I don't know maybe, what that's about. But maybe you've always been louder than me. Maybe that's I, well, the sign. I probably, I probably have always been louder than you. But um, your your microphone is also a lot louder in general. The, it pro- uh, that's probably true. Yeah, that Yeti is blue Yeti. Get yourself one. I'm, Although I used a Sure microphone the other day for another podcast, and I really liked those. Was it the SMB seven? Oh, I don't know. It said sure on it. The one that uh, Joe Rogan uses? Probably. Those ones. an incredible microphone. They are, they're like the most popular podcasting microphone. Yeah. They're only uh, $400. Right. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Well, really $250 plus the stand and, you know, whatever. But you have to get everything. I mean, it, yeah. It was a great, great little microphone. I thought, I, I do like this one that I have. I like yours too. I'm like, I'd, I'd use that one. I like, 
This is a dynamic microphone, so it's kind of better for my voice Mm because I need all the help that I can get. Mm-hmm. Where yours is like a condenser, so it picks up more of a crystal clear sound, mm. but it's also much more sensitive. So it is much more sensitive, and I don't know how you know all of that stuff because I literally i I got on Google, googled good microphones for podcasters. This came up, and I just bought it and plugged it in. I I couldn't tell you the difference between would you say a condenser microphone and what is this one? Mine's a dynamic, a dynamic a condenser. Maybe you should come uh, do all this stuff for me. Well, I, I want to get a Blue Yeti for as like a travel microphone because, yeah. like you mm-hmm. said, it's a plug and play. I have to have – mine's an XLR, so I have to have mm-hmm. my uh, my whatever you your, call this thing and my interface. dock. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a huge pain, and this one is so cheap. It's not even that good. So – uh, the uh, So Sure also has a USB and XLR microphone combo. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is $150. I was, I was on their Very website good. perusing. And um, so you could, that if you're, I mean, that's only like 20 bucks more than this one, but you could have the, the combo XLR and USB. Be a good combo. It would be. Well, that's a great segue into the tale of three Kings. That's right. <laughs> no segue at all. The second Bible. That's what a pastor I used to sit under. That's what he called the tale of three Kings. He called it a second Bible. It impacted his life that much. Okay. <laughs> it's supposed to be a compliment. Not a... Yeah. You don't even know what to make of that, do you? Well, I hear it. Well, I, people say like they use that term so um, just casually sometimes that it kind of bugs oh, me, you know, got like it. Uh, at, at my old job at the bank, people would mm-hmm. say, oh, um, your training manual, like that's your, that's your Bible. Cause you can always reference it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's just, it's just, hey. a, it's just a book. You know, you, you know, you've made it when everything is compared to you. So the Bible has made it because everything is compared to it. That is true. What's funny though is like non-religious people don't, they don't even understand that the Bible is like, it's a, it's not like, it doesn't just say holy, it doesn't mean holy book, right? It, it means it's like specific to Christian and I guess he, you know, the Hebrew Jewish tradition, um, they have a, the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. But then there's like the Torah, the Quran. That's a different word mm-hmm. that means something different. So you could literally say the, you know, this training manual. This is like my Quran, and it'd be like the same thing. But that could also be considered like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Offensive to Muslims. I think they would be flattered. You think? <laughs> yeah, they want everybody to read the Quran. Just like Christians want everyone to read the Bible and Jewish people want everyone to read the Bible. I think they'd be flattered. Well, the to... only people who would be offended are people who studied religious cultures at a liberal arts school because they're offended by everything. Can I say that? How dare you? Hey, <laughs> <Like>, sorry. <laughs> be tougher. <laughs> be a man. I wrote the whole thing myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson. Yep. That's it. No, I mean, this book, I, I've told my, my three listeners that include dad and crystal. And I don't know who the third is, um, multiple times. I'm a subscriber. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Good. So, this is my like first episode back since I took a break while I was getting licensed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was studying so much. I decided that it'd be best to just wait until I was yeah. completely licensed. So I am now coming back and hopefully I'm going to do one episode a month. Mm-hmm. So the, for the people who are subscribed, hopefully they'll be getting more content yeah. more regularly. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I tell people, There are books that I read every single year. One, the first one was Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Have you read that one yet? Uh, No. What is wrong with you? It's it's on my very long list of books to read. Okay. That is more important to read than Gulag Archipelago. You think? Yes. A, it's it's much shorter. Okay. B, it's written by like an act. I don't know who Solzhenitsyn was, but you don't. I like I, Victor Frankel was a psychiatrist, so he was like yeah. a medical doctor, doctor of psychiatry, who experienced the Holocaust and then wrote about it firsthand from a like a an actual um, professional perspective. Yeah. Well, so Solzhenitsyn was—he's an author, but he was sent to a gulag for I think fifteen or twenty years uh, for speaking out against privately. Actually, he wrote a letter to a friend that got intercepted by the secret police, and so they put him in a gulag for I think I think it was fifteen or twenty years. I'd have to look that up. Um, Dang. And you could credit him with bringing starting the. Um, the down you could credit him with starting the downfall of the um russian empire or the the ussr because he was the first one to write the gulag archipelago it's exposed to the world exactly what they were doing to people mm-hmm. um do, have you finished that book yet i haven't started it, that book yet oh man when he talks about law 52 i think it's law 52 it's creepy they'd arrest you for anything literally anything um so he he was he had firsthand experience also. Um, and right. Which it's a book. It's a book that's about tyranny. His book is also 400 pages and that's pretty dense. That's the abridged version Uh, the abridged version. Right. Man search for meaning. I think with the postscript is 130 pages. Oh yeah. You can read that in the morning. Yeah. uh, The gulag, the original one I think is, is 1200 pages. Yeah. That's incredible. And my, yeah, my copy that dad got me it has the forward written by Jordan Peterson. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to finally diving into that one. Did you listen to his um, most recent podcast with Joe Rogan? I got like 30 minutes into it and then got distracted. Well, it, it, I took a couple of days to listen to it because it was three hours. It's fantastic. It just gets better and better and better and better. Every, I'm yeah. So uh, according to Michaela Jordan's daughter, he went he went on um, that on Joe Rogan because mm-hmm. he's allowed to say more on Spotify than he can on YouTube about his current situation. Probably with with, with the Canadian um, 
government. <laughs> well, they're not gulags, but because uh, that's a, but they are coming uh, after me. him. Yeah, whatever yeah. you want to call them. Anyway, so back to what I was saying. Books on my books that I read every year, Man's mm-hmm. Search for Meaning, and I'm going on my third year of reading Man's Search for Meaning, mm-hmm. and Tale of Three Kings is the other one. I'm look. I'm going to add a third book this year. I just don't know which one. Mm. So it's probably going to be something simple like uh, Lion, Witch, and War in the Wardrobe. Uh, you got to have a C.S. Lewis in there. Yeah, I was I was going to make it something like Mere Christianity, but I was like, that's also really heady. Uh huh. That's a you could do the Fellowship of the Ring. That book is I love the Fellowship. I know that you probably like the Return of the King more. I thought the Fellowship was the best book. Did you finish the series? Uh huh. I did. Good. You know, when you told me that you were reading it, was it that at Thanksgiving when you were starting it? Yeah, but I, then I ended up, I didn't end up picking it up until around Christmas time because yeah. I just didn't have time. Do you remember what I told you? I mean, you you said, I don't think you'll get through this by. No, I said, I, like, I don't think you'll ever get through it. I only said that as, as a challenge to you to make sure that you would finish it. Yeah. <laughs> Because I kind of assumed that that'd well, be probably your best chance is your younger brother well, telling you that you can't. <laughs> well, I ended up reading. Sorry, I keep interrupting you, but I those books, I told you I want to do a whole, there's so many things to learn from them. Um, one, Gandalf is way more baller than in the books than he is even in the movies. Um, I was ready to charge through a wall in the return of the King, when he is standing there, when the, the grong thing comes through the wall, the door of Gondor. Mm-hmm. And when he stands there by himself to face down that, um, the, uh, the ring wraith instead of the trolls. I like, I was, I was ready to run through a wall. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> it had me amped. Yeah. Um, but his, his wisdom in the fellowship of the ring is really what got me because the world is about to die and no one has any idea except for the, the nine companions and only they know how important their task is. And there was something about that, that just like really, really spoke to my soul, spoke to my heart. Like Hmm. if the world's about to pass and about to die, it, it takes only a few people to make things right. And nobody knows the weight that they carry. Like there was something about it that just got me. So, but different, Different day, different time. We'll we'll get into that. Well, you'll probably need On another a, episode. You'll yeah. need you'll we'll need a few hours for me to go through that whole thing, which means I need to reread that series now. Thanks. <sighs> but I, I I'm actually reading Hobbit right now. I I try to read fiction at, at night. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I read uh, nonfiction throughout the day and then fiction yeah, at yeah, night. Yeah. But those two books you picked though are good ones to reread every year. And I, I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Find the Witch and the Wardrobe is a good one. I. Finish. I made the mistake of reading some nonfiction at night, and I uh-huh. finished Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. Mm-hmm. Like, at I think it was like at nine thirty. Right, I should have already been in bed, uh-huh. and I got so pumped with like his wisdom. You, you get. That's why I can't read nonfiction at night because I get so excited. <laughs> like, oh, this is this is it. Let's go, and then I can't fall asleep. So that's that's a mistake of reading nonfiction at night. You can't fall asleep. You get too excited. Yeah, or you yeah. If yeah. it's good nonfiction. If it's bad nonfiction, you just fall asleep and forget it. But that's that that too, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'll add Tom, Thomas Sowell's books are on my list too. So good. No. 
Did you know that he turns 93 this year? No, I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah. Hey, I got I have I have a book I need you to add to your list. Though. Oh, not another it's, one. It's a history book called You've heard people quote it. It's called Age of Entitlement by Christopher Caldwell. Mhm. One of the best historical analysis I think I've ever read of the last 60 years. Age of and I've heard that. Why? Yeah, it's because the people that you like to listen to on political commentary quote that book all the time. Oh, probably. And I I couldn't stop reading it. It is a great synthesis and understanding and perspective. The what one of the tough things though was he kind of pointed out that Reagan wasn't as hot as uh, he was made out to be because he was such a disciple of Ayn Rand and Ayn Rand was kind of you'll have to read it uh, you said who was that written by something called Christopher Caldwell Christopher uh, where no 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 you can are you looking it up right now no I um, I have to type it into my um, my knowledge journal Oh, uh, okay. Well, you could. I could oh, wait. We still. We're right. twenty-one minutes in. We haven't talked about Taylor Three Kings yet. That's fine. Okay. So yeah, lots lots of books to to read. Okay, read them all. Yes. So Tale of Three Kings, though, you first introduced it to us as a book for our family uh, book club. Yep. That is no more. The women we married weren't didn't want to do the family book club anymore. Crystal loves the idea, uh-huh. but I think the application for her is uh, not. She's not a fan of. Um, she doesn't like enjoy reading the way like you or I do. I think or Colin, and then the discussion. She didn't like when we would debate our ideas. Crystal loves debate. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if she she the first she, she grew up at a classical charter school. She doesn't know how to debate. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. I just remember talking about the sunflower in Stafford, Kansas. That was the second book I think we read was mm-hmm. the sunflower. Yep. But yeah, I did. I introduced that book because uh, da- so Dad got to pick the book first, and he chose that one by Erwin McManus about creativity, the artisan's soul. The Artisan Soul, yep. And then I did Taylor Three Kings. Did mom ever get to pick out a book? No, because we got married. We can't we got married. We canceled it. Sorry, mom. Guarantee mom Sorry. listens to your podcast. Um Maybe. I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. She's a big supporter of the fan. Um Yeah, and then I did Taylor Three Kings. Because it was a very very, very, very impactful book. When did you me. first get introduced to it? When I was interning at Red Rocks. Okay. Um, it was a book that they had everybody read. And I didn't fully appreciate what I like. I thought it was a really, really good book, but I didn't fully appreciate it until probably two years ago. Um, Which would be after we yeah. did it for Family Book Club. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those books that it was having, it had an immediate impact that I didn't really understand. Um, but I knew like there's something in here that I need to come to understand. And I would say probably within the last two years and then in the last 
three or four months specifically um, with some of my scripture study I've been doing, the lessons in that book have really, really, really come alive and um, are, are, I mean, it changes your whole outlook on life um, is what that book will do because uh, of where it's derived and actually what it says about reality and what it says about God. Um, and as a forewarning or a forehint or whatever, uh, God does not like when people despise authority, even if the authority is ungodly. Um, and so it's a, really, it's a book about respect for authority and it's a book about trusting that God knows what he's doing. Um, so let it, let it work on your worldview a and, little bit. And we'll get into this later, but mm-hmm. that's in order to fully understand that you have to understand the or view the world through the perspective and paradigm that that Christ took when he became the ultimate uh example of suffering mm-hmm. that a human can can go through yes in order to become who he needed to be yes and i mean that that, that that's kind of the yeah, book right? Right? is that the book is a study in brokenness it's a study in brokenness it's a study of authority it's how God chooses to elevate people. Um, but one of the things that racks the brain of people in Western society is God's not democratic at all. Is he a Republican is, then? He is no, he's not. He doesn't he is taking no votes at all. Oh, so he's he, a he's a dictator. Gotcha. He is. Yeah, he is there's I think there's actually a Bible verse. I think it's uh, Psalm 110. I think Psalm 110, or no, maybe it's in the Song of Moses. I don't remember, but it's, it basically says, God is a man of war. He does whatever he wants, I think is what it says, basically. Um, I'm pretty sure someone was going to punch me circa December, late November of 2020, because mm-hmm. everywhere I went when someone asked me about the election, all mm-hmm. I would say is there is no voter fraud in the kingdom of God. <laughs> I, I yeah, what to talk about a dissatisfying answer to so many people. <laughs> so many people were, you know, upset or you're happy, you know, whatever. And I'm like, eh, no, no voter fraud in the kingdom of God. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, it, this relates particularly particularly with the book, like especially later on with with Absalom and his rebellion, his revolt, mm-hmm. is that. We get we t- have a tendency as humans in society to get hung up on what I would say ev- events that seem catastrophic in our lifetime, but mm-hmm. are realistically a blink of an eye in the hi- within if you look at history as a whole. Right. Yeah. And that, that's why, true. you know, Jesus says, "Why do you can you add any hour to your life with your worrying?" Mm-hmm. So, you know, why do we? Mm-hmm. Why do we put so much energy into these, you know, in into these small things? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you could go down a whole rabbit trail with that, but yeah. so um, let, the thing with like, go ahead. We'll come back to this authority thing, like, um, because I'm learning a lot that, and it's, I mean, I've talked to you and Dad about this. I've talked to Dad about it a lot about the honoring of father and mother and how. If you can't, that's where you learn to honor authority. And I'm learning, like, even if you don't like the authority, you have to honor the position 
and honor what it stands for. And I don't know why, but for God expects his people to honor authority. So like Peter, um, he wrote like, you need to honor the king. Well, the king killed one of his best friends. And you're like, why, why on earth would you honor the king? The king being an authoritative King Herod who killed one of your best friends. Like, Mm -hmm. why would you do that? Um, well, because God raises up rulers and then he also destroys rulers. And right, you know, it's right after he he uh, killed James, he died himself. Like, um, and there is a tendency to think that dishonor puts you in charge. That's Absalom's problem. Dishonor puts you in charge. But really, all you have done is turn the turn the tides of God's power against you. Like, you can think you can uh, with our, so like the 2020 election that you have half the people who are like stoked that Joe Biden won the election and half the people who are really angry and calling it voter fraud. Okay. So that's, a, it's going to be a very sensitive issue depending on who you're talking to. But what people think is like, if I scream voter fraud enough, something will change and it won't, nothing's, nothing's going to change. Not a thing. There's nothing like, that can happen. That's not in God's will. Yeah. And, which is deeply dissatisfying to people who wish they were God, which is the sin of Eden anyway. But like you're, all you're doing is agitating yourself and you're getting nowhere in, in, in the meantime, you're actually going, you might be going backwards mm-hmm. in your soul. Um, so you, you can sit like, you don't have to like the current president of the United States to honor him as the president of the United States because he holds the position mm-hmm. and that's, you're going to get more life doing that. And you'll be more effective doing that then you will be railing against voter fraud like you're you're not going to get anywhere you're going to sit in your laptop and you're going to watch videos that make you angry and change nothing yep sorry i like this this one gets me i get fired up about this yeah okay (laughs) but (laughs) well slow down keaton (laughs) let's pause there because that that'll come up later when especially when we talk about absalom so yes um real quick the three kings Mm mm-hmm Tale of Three Kings, right? So we have Saul, David, yep. and David's son Absalom. Mm-hmm. Now the book, uh, the book subtitle, "A Study in Brokenness." It opens with an interesting, is it preface or prologue, whatever you want to call it? Where I call it a prologue since it's written as a narrative. Okay. Now in that, a this angel is it Gabriel is given. Uh, two destinies yep to take down to the earth yep and then it's not it's not entirely clear at first what these destinies mean right Mm -hmm. um or what they represent Mm -hmm. so but they go down and then it starts with the story starts with um well david's a shepherd Mm -hmm. right during the reign of king saul so David starts his life in the where he gets his his narrative in the Bible and in the story starts with his anointing mm-hmm. to be king while someone mm-hmm. else is already king. Yep. So let's go to the first king, Saul. Who who is Saul? Saul. Saul's the guy you expect to be king. He's tall, he's handsome. Um, says he's taller than everybody. 
Um, like a head taller, and, right? Huh? A he's head, a head taller, so he's really tall. Taller than every man in Israel. Yeah. And people tend to follow tall people, um, especially when you see them. It's it's just kind of weird. You can look at somebody who's tall, and you're like, you have a natural respect for him. Can we actually pause right there? Um, I can't remember what book it's in, but Malcolm Gladwell talks about um, someone who became president because some political um, person like mm-hmm. walked into a bar and saw this tall, handsome guy in the and like talk to him for a little bit and realize that he was just smart enough, but just dumb enough that he knew he could get this guy to be president. Really? Yeah. I can't remember which book it's in, but he, I don't know if he huh. becomes president or not, but he does, he goes pretty far and it's mostly okay. his appearance more than anything. Yeah. That's so, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Abe Lincoln wouldn't win a presidency these day and age. He only won because no one could see what he looked like. I mean, he was tall, but man, his appearance was awful. He got elected because of his ideas, mm-hmm. for sure. But um, so Saul is the guy who looks like king. Israel has just demanded a king who will fight their battles for them. So Israel has decided they no longer want to participate in um, the well-being of the country by fighting their own battles, which is they don't want to take personal responsibility for the community around them. What they want is a hero who will take care of them and do all the stuff that they don't want to do. If that sounds familiar to a day and age, uh, let me know because everybody's looking for a king to take care of the stuff that they don't want to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why that's how you end up with people in power who oh, naturally yeah. become tyrants. They're happy to to fight battles for you because now they can control everything about you. Um, and Samuel, the prophet who anoints Saul, gives the people of Israel a warning. Like, if you elect a king, he's going to take, 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 take. It's right there in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Take. He'll take your kids. He'll take your food. He'll take your, take your, take your, take, 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 take everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so Saul gets anointed king. And... Um, he's Israel's first king, but right off the bat, in the at least in the scripture, not not it's not necessarily in the tale of three kings because it's not the point. But you start to see some char- characteristics about Saul that will tell you how his future is going to go. Mm-hmm. So the first story you get about Saul is he is told to go and find some lost donkeys. Um, his father tells him, "Go find these donkeys. They ran away. I need you to go find them." And he searches for three days and then decides to give up. He's like, he looks to his servant. He looks to the person beneath him um, who's supposed to be following him and says, I don't think we're going to do this. And automa- the servant right then and there becomes the leader. And because the servant knows we've got to finish the job. So Saul's a king who is incapable of finishing the job. And that's going to start to agitate him later in his life when someone underneath him starts becoming king and acting like a king better than he is, which is David. So you actually get a picture of Saul and his servant, when they're looking for the donkeys, you get a picture of Saul and David later. Um, Saul is incapable of leading. He has to look to someone else to lead. He can't. Um, yeah, he, you. I go on that one for a while. Okay. And real quick, uh, could could you just back away from your mic like an inch or so? Oh, is it getting a little loud? Yeah. Sorry. No problem. Getting a Got little it. excited over here. So one of the main questions in this throughout the book is what do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Mm. Mm-hmm. What is it? A, 
well, well, let's talk about the actual event of the spear throwing, and then we'll get into the the repre- the metaphorical um, aspect of spear throwing. Okay. So in the story, right, David is, even though he's been anointed as the future king, he is he's in Saul's service. And it's unclear as to whether or not he and Saul like actually see face to face. Some people, I guess, say that he could have been playing the harp for him to soothe his soul, but maybe behind a curtain. It seems like for some reason Saul doesn't know David because later is when David slays Goliath, right? Um, yeah, I think he so, or he, he could have been so mad that he didn't even know who he was throwing a spear at. Yeah, the yeah. So first and second Samuel, um, in the scripture, I don't know if it's if it's entirely chronological. Mm-hmm on how things fall. Um, I think you get the full story of Saul and then you get the story of David and then you get how Saul, how they intermingle later. So, cause you, you hear about some stuff early in Saul's story that doesn't show up until several chapters later. And you're like, wait, it's been way longer than seven days <laughs> since you first gave him this instruction. So I think it actually, you get the way it's written, you get the full story of Saul part of the story of David and how it intermingles. So I think, I think is how it goes, but gotcha. um, uh, it's during the portion where it's about Saul, his kingdom is taken from him because he can't do what God has asked him to do. Uh, he just, he just can't do it. He cannot obey. He can't finish the job. He can't do what he was commanded to do. Um, he is small in his own eyes, which means he's never fully accepted the responsibility that God had asked him to do, which is, a, that, that's a lesson in and of itself. You need to come to fully accept what God has asked you to do. Otherwise you will never, you won't do it as well as you should. Hmm. But so God takes the kingdom from him and says, I'm going to anoint someone else as your king. And so that's when David gets anointed king. David's first act as a uh after being anointed king, is to play the harp for Saul. So he's a servant of Saul. Of the king. If you remember, of the king. He's a, his, his anointed king, and now he is the servant of the king. So he's a, he's a servant king, um, if that resonates in any other portion of the scripture. Um, and Saul, um, in the scripture, it says that God sent a spirit to harm him, to like agitate him. Good. I think my translation says torment. Torment, yeah. Um, so that could be a spirit of jealousy. It's it's really unclear. It's, but what? It, but Saul's like, I need somebody to help me with this. And mm-hmm. so David gets chosen because it's like, hey, David can play the lyre. He can play the harp. Um, and he would be perfect for this job. So that's David's first job. He starts playing the harp for Saul. Um, and it soothes Saul. But then David kills Goliath. So now he's a harp player and a warrior for Israel. And as a warrior, he starts to become really, really popular. But he's faithfully still playing his harp, his lyre, mm-hmm. for uh, Saul. And But Saul starts to get really, really, really jealous of, of David. Which So anybody who's in a position of authority... Uh, one that they've not fully accepted that God placed in there. That's mm-hmm. huge. You have to, if you're in a position of authority, you need to fully accept that God is the one who placed you there. Otherwise, you will be jealous of the people beneath you, mm-hmm. um, and then you will seek to try to control. This is what Saul does: try to control the outcome. So what Saul does is he throws a spear at David. He tries to kill David, 
He is so jealous of David that his the only thing that he thinks he can do to preserve his own position that he didn't earn is to kill the person beneath him, um, to kill his, one of his servants who has been faithful to him. Um, and that's so that's literally uh, three times he tries to pin him to the wall is the language in the Bible uh, with a spear. He just and David ducks out of the way of the spear every single time. That's what it says. It says and, he dodges right. the spear. He and ducks he out of the pulls way it out of, of the, the wall and throws it right mm-hmm. back. Nope. No. Never throws. Never throws it back. Hmm. Nope. He ducks out of the way. He avoids the spear. Doesn't throw it back. Because mm-hmm. he will not become like Saul. That's a major major point of the book. Is if you be, if you throw spears back, you become like the original person who threw the spear. Mm-hmm. And David's taking exactly. the higher road, yep. and he won't. He will not. And this is the lesson of authority. So Saul is Saul moves away from being a godly leader into an ungodly leader, but David still recognizes that he's the Lord's anointed, and so he will not disrespect or harm Saul. Like he just won't. So instead, later in the story, instead of um, taking revenge, seeking to get his own, trying to, he's rightfully anointed king. Instead of trying to establish himself as the king, he um, leaves. He's had enough. He's like, Saul has thrown enough spears. I'm going to go leave. It, it, it would be better for me to go live in a cave by myself, away from my friends and family, than to have my life threatened and to speak against the person that God has currently put in charge. Mm-hmm. So don't speak negatively of your leaders. Let me let, let me read the exact passage that you're yep. talking about. Um, this is David yelling at Joab in the cave after. So they've he, David's run away. Joab yep. and his loyal David's loyal men follow him, and Joab wants David to stoop basically to Saul's level. Um, yep. And David yells, "Stoop in the bad sense." Yes. And he said, this is David basically yelling back. Better he kill me than I learn his ways. Better he kill me than I become as he is. I shall not practice the ways that cause kings to go mad. I will not throw spears, nor will I allow hatred to grow in my heart. I will not avenge. I will not destroy the Lord's anointed. Not now. Not ever. It's, it's yes, so good. That line, when I when I first read that, what I saw was, we we know that David is a man after God's own heart, but this scene mm. shows his, that line shows his resolve to follow God. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time having that, that level of resolve. Well, yeah, it takes a lot of practice. Especially when other people, your fr- trusted friends are telling you that what, that there are yeah. other ways and you're like, no, this is the only way. Yeah. Uh, Joab eventually becomes a thorn in David's flesh where David doesn't know what to do with him. So he has Solomon kill him <laughs> as his first act as king. He's like, you know, get rid of Joab. <laughs> yeah. But um, okay. you have to you have to come to accept that the people who are in authority are placed there by God, that God elevated them. Mm-hmm. It's very, very hard in a democratic world in a Republican type Republican, small R Republican, where you, you vote on representatives. How does that work out with sovereignty and free will and all of that? I have no idea, 
but you have a we all have a lot of leaders um in our life that not just the president and not just your representatives in congress or you have leaders in your life that weren't there by election uh, you have your boss at work mm-hmm. uh you have your father and your mother you didn't choose your father and your mother god placed them you in their world mm-hmm. like you didn't choose you, you you have and god put you in that family and asked that you honor your father and mother um now what happened those poor people who were born into bad families, I don't, that stuff is way beyond me. But well, um, well, let's get into that real quick because um, the majority of our in in America at least the majority of our incarcerated popula- prison population mm-hmm. come from families fatherless of homes father fatherless homes. But yeah. even greater to add that is the issues that um, they have with either their father or their mother, some sort of relationship mm-hmm. dynamic mm-hmm. that they, that they can't get past. So, yes. I mean, I I'd say, I don't have any statistics off the top of my head, but I would say it's, well, I have it's, a couple. It's huge where, yeah. um, they have some sort of bad relationship with their, maybe they can't honor their father and mother. Maybe their mother's fathers are terrible people who like, um, I'm watching this show. Uh, Ed Kemper, apparently his, mo- his he was a serial killer. His mother <laughs> humiliated him, especially in public. Yep. And um, eventually, he just he that was his his first kill, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Um, and I think she, I think she was a single mom as well. Uh, yep. So fa- fatherless home. Okay. Mm. But the relationship there if that had been a healthy relationship where you can, even if, I mean, I know that it's, it's easy for us to say this cause we have a, you and I, we have a very healthy relationship with our respective parent. Well, I don't know why yeah. I said respective, our parents, <laughs> um, <laughs> mom and pop, our, yeah. yeah, mama tuck and papa tuck. We have very healthy relationships there. So it's easy mm-hmm. for us to just be like, Oh, you just need to have a better relationship. Just make it work. Okay. Well, either way they have something there that's missing and I think that that's probably the main pre presupposition that prevents them pre- prevents people from being able to live a healthier life. You have to have a yeah. better view of authority. Yes. Yeah. So Dennis Prager pointed this out in his Exodus commentary. This this was really really I think very key. Um. Well, one I will say it's it is a mystery to me, and it's it'll be forever interesting that. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is followed by every other crime that you could commit against humanity, murder, adultery, stealing, lying, and coveting. Um, Those are the root of all other crime in the world. And everybody who dishonors their mother and father finds a way to do the last five commandments. They just seem to do it. Um, And But one of the things um, that is was very important to me that uh, Dennis Prager pointed out was it do- God did not say, love your mother and father. That's not there. It says honor. And um, so a lot of times when you talk to people who like their parents, they were just absent. They weren't good parents. It's very, very difficult to be a parent. Um, and then some parents just made bad choices. Um, I also tell people when I'm talking to them about these young guys, I'm like, you need to be honest with yourself. <laughs> were your parents bad or were you a dingus? <laughs> like, be honest 
a lot of times you were a dingus. You're just being a teenager. Yeah, but um, love and honor are very, very different. And um, <clears throat> one acknowledges the place that they hold. And one is, I have to have a full-on relationship with this person. And for a lot of people, that's going to be really, really hard because some forgiveness and reconciliation have to happen. But I mean, I had a good friend in high school that I, he had terrible parents. His name is Paul. Terrible. They're absent, but he never, dis- he w- I don't even think Paul was a believer, but he never dishonored them. And he was able to, like, his life went pretty well, right? Like, just because he knew how to honor his parents. And then, and likewise, he was able to honor his teachers, coaches, um, any other authority in his life. And I'm learning right now, if you can learn to honor authority, you get everything you ever want. But, yeah. Like, literally, if you honor authority, especially your most immediate authority, you get everything that you want. But that should not be your intention behind honoring authority. It, intention is only changes with action. Intention, I mean, it's, a, I mean, the first commandment comes with a promise. Honor your mother and father that it may go well with you. If it takes you needing it to go well with you to learn how to honor, great. Um, bad I guess in, you can't be in, honorable with bad intentions to begin with. I, I would call it bad, ulterior motives. Yeah, yeah, but bad intentions or ulterior motives don't change if you don't take action. If you're waiting for your motives and ulterior, if you're waiting for your uh, your motivations to change to do what's right, you're never going to get there. Ever, you you need to do what's right just because it's doing what is right. It's doing what is good. Um, yeah. So, like, if you're waiting till Joe Biden earns your res- your honor. It's probably not going to happen. You have to make a conscious choice. That's <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Okay. Let's uh, move on here. So then, after Saul, yep. he's the he's the spear throwing king who yep. hurls insults at people. Okay. Yep. Then we have the life of David. He's highly regarded throughout Jewish culture as the greatest king of Israel even though he also yep. did some pretty terrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's move on to the third king, Absalom. Yep. Now, Absalom. I think I've already mentioned it, but Absalom is David's son. Yep. Who yep. becomes yep. king by trying to steal the kingdom from David. And how does how does he do that? All right, I got it pulled up in my Bible right here. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 15. So Absalom is already mad at his dad. He's already mad at David. Of course. Because David, there was an, a very sad, sad and sick event that happened to Absalom's sister that David didn't take care of. David, this is the one time when David, he neglected to do his duty. He he should have taken care of the issue and he did not. And it it really made Absalom angry. Um. And Absalom works very hard. He runs away from the kingdom. He comes back. Um, they, but they don't have the same relationship. And, and Absalom decides it's time for him to be king. He believes that if he was king, things would be best. So what he does is he places himself at the gate where people would come to see the king um, to like have their cases heard or they make their requests. And without any wisdom or... Um, insight from other people, he would just justify whatever people brought to him. 
what he was doing is he was stealing the hearts of of the people of Israel. So he's already not making wise decisions because um, not every case brought before a king or a judge or a magistrate uh, wins in the favor goes in the favor of the person who brought it ahead. Mm. If you're a thief, you know, think of like a the girl who brought the babies before Solomon. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what he's doing is he's telling he's itching their ears he's telling people what they want to hear so he can buy their loyalty mm. and he's not really earning loyalty he's a politician you, <laughs> yeah so that's the thing you're you're he's winning fans but not loyalty uh you get fans by telling people what they want to hear you get loyalty by telling people the truth and so all he's doing is getting fans um he's he's I, there's a thomas Sowell quote that addresses that perfectly or he says, if you, oh, really? if you want to help, uh, if you want to help yourself, or if you want to help people, tell them the truth. If you want to help yourself, tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, it's, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah, you just tell people what they want to hear instead of telling them the truth. It's, it's. I mean, everybody does it at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not all perfect t- truth tellers. That's why Jordan Peterson had to put it in his book. He's like, well, at least tell the truth or tell the truth or at least don't lie. Mm-hmm. Like. <laughs> but anyway, so he's telling him what he wants to hear. Um, and then he, he says, this is 15 verse four. He says, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and I would give him justice. So what he's doing is he's saying, hey, you can't go to David. David's not giving you what you want, but I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Uh, so he created fans. Um, and. Then he's, he sets up a coup where someone declares him king and he rides his chariot through. And this isn't in an age where you have like mass media to let you know what's like, break, there's no breaking news. So if someone rides through a town with a chariot declaring uh, the king is coming, you're just like, oh, I guess, I guess he's king now. I guess David has stepped down. Mm-hmm. So you, you have no idea of like, and so he, he takes the kingdom away, which causes uh there could have been a civil war now because now the people are don't know who's king you've got the servants of david and then you've got the followers of absalom um which is a phrase that actually shows up a lot you've got servants of david but and then servants of the other king both with saul and with absalom Mm -hmm. david's the only king that has true loyalty because these men followed him from the cave to the kingdom and uh well that (laughs) that the game that we play with colin uh which one uh the i can't Avalon, where yeah, yeah, yeah. you're either a minion of Mordred or a servant of Arthur. That's right. It's exactly. It's, yeah, ex- ser- it's exactly the you same. Serve thing. kings, or you're a pawn for evil. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, you choose. Um, so Ab- Absalom just he takes the he thinks he can do a better job than the current king. So here, this is where you really get the contrast of the book. Okay, Saul think Saul is jealous of the up and comer behind him. And Absalom thinks he can do better than the person in front of him. So a lot of people at your job, if you think you could do a better job than your boss, if you've, you, you like, you, you just want to gossip about him at the water cooler and you've got, you like, if you would do this and this and this and this, the book says you've got the spirit of Absalom. You think that you could do better. You're an armchair quarterback. You've got all the solutions and none of the pressure. And then there are, that's right. Yeah, that's right. None of the pressure. Um, and then there's a proverb that says like, nobody chooses leadership for himself and anybody in leadership 
realizes like, yeah, this is this is not glamorous. You like sign up to be a leader. You're like you're signing up to be everyone's like least favorite and favorite person. Like, <laughs> it, depending on how you do it. I mean, unless you're a celebrity, then you're just worshipped. But you're not a leader. Wait, at my old job, there's a, a supervisor position opening, and uh-huh. I had a couple of my coworkers who um, they told me that I should apply because they they were like, we'd love to have like have you as a boss. I feel like you'd be good at that. And I was like. Nope. You'd all be fired. Well, I was like, I've, I've been a manager, you know, when I was at uh, men's warehouse, Yeah, been there, done that. It's no, if you want to be good Mm -hmm. in the way that like you honor the position in Mm -hmm. and of itself, people don't like you. They really don't because you have to, you know, you have to do the truthful thing, the honorable thing. And people don't actually Mm -hmm. like that. No. Um, so it's, it's a pressure position. I was like, no, thank you. I, yeah. I appreciate you saying that you think I'd be good at it, but I don't No, Thank you. <laughs> That's cause I haven't had to correct you yet. <laughs> well, I correct them all the time anyway. Oh, did you? Well, there is only, well, maybe the, only if I got, the I do permission. think some people, I do think most people are looking for someone to tell them what to do. They also want to complain against that person when they're not around. Um, but not everybody has the spirit of Absalom. Some people have the spirit of Saul within them, which is I'm in a position of authority and I feel like I have to guard it against anyone who might take it. When in reality, you're not going to hold that position of authority or leadership for that long. You will be there for a season and then someone else will take over. Um, and you need to hold that position loosely. So that's, that's the real contrast in the book, um, is there are some people who lord their authority over others instead of using it to serve. And then there are some people who think they could do better than the current authority. Um, and what God is look, and then that tale, that story of brokenness that is in the subtitle mm-hmm. is God's not looking for either one of those people. He's not looking for people who think they have to guard their position. He's not looking for jealous people. God's not looking for um, people who think they're smarter than the current person in authority because you're not. You, well, you might, I mean, you might be, you're listening, you think you might be smarter than your boss, but you're not in that position. Um, but God's not looking for the smartest person. He's looking for the person who is contrite in heart, which is a form of brokenness, which means you recognize that you're, you are under the authority of God. You didn't choose this position for yourself and you're ultimately not in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and God will do. I mean, I heard this pastor say this the other day, God will leave you in the basement until he gets out of you what he needs to get out of you before he can elevate you. And Peter says, humble yourselves before God so that he might exalt you. It says that Jesus, in the scripture, it says that Jesus was made perfect through suffering, um, even even if it meant death on the cross. Um, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Um, how it worked with Jesus, no idea. How it works with um, people like you and me, God elevates people who are submitted to him and who have gotten their ego, their desire to decide what is good and right for themselves um, out of, out of their body. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot there. Yeah. So Absalom is leading this rebellion. There's a, in chapter 21 of the book Mm. says uh, history is talking Mm-hmm. Um, 
This kingdom is composed of God's people. It is a spiritual kingdom. I tell you emphatically, no rebellion in the kingdom of God is proper, nor can it ever be fully blessed. That's right. In the spiritual realm, those who lead rebellions have already proven, no matter how grandiose their words or angelic their ways, that they have a critical nature, an unprincipled character, and hidden motives in their hearts. Frankly, they are thieves. They create dissatisfaction and tension within the realm and then either seize power or siphon off followers. They use their followers to found their own dominions. Such a sorry beginning, built on the foundation of insurrection. No, God never honors division in his realm. Sure doesn't. He also says, he keeps going, um, these these people, um, they they feel qualified to split God's kingdom, but they do not feel capable of going somewhere else to another land to raise up another completely new kingdom. No, yep. they must steal from another leader. <laughs> they must steal from another leader. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Yep. That's great. Yeah. Divi- did you know division literally means two visions? It's like vi- two separate visions that, that uh, hmm. or multiple visions mm-hmm. die uh, that compete against each other. And that's why Paul in the New Testament, he's like in Corinthians, he's like, is Christ divided? No. You, some of you say you follow Paul. Some say Apollo, some Peter. Like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. There's one king in this in this realm. Mm-hmm. His name is Jesus, and Jesus has appointed overseers that are your pastors or your elders, and he has appointed them and chosen them um, as confirmed by other people within the church. And that's your that's who I've placed over you. Mm-hmm. That's 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 your current shepherd. And if you don't, if you rebel against them, you're rebelling against what I have assigned. Yep. That's what it says in Romans 13. Mm-hmm. Um, now, <clears throat> some people will, I, maybe probably rightly, Bonhoeffer wrestled with this, um, this aspect. What do you do if your leader is Hitler? You know, and Bonhoeffer decided, like, I think it, it would be good for me to assassinate him. Um, and it, it cost him his life. But like, okay, what if, you're, what if your leader is what if he's evil? What do you do then? Um, that's a that's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I don't I don't I don't know if I have an answer, but I know that insurrection is not the right one. But that's tough. Yeah, there's also like the I guess a. Uh, there's a response of, I won't seek to take over the country, but yeah, I can, I mean, well, like the, you know, like the people who smuggled Jews out of, safely, yep. out of Germany. Yes. That could be viewed so, by, from Hitler's perspective, that could be seen as insurrection, but it's really just disobedience the only time that God has said disobey rulers is when they would cause you to sin or they themselves are, are blatantly sinning. Mm-hmm. And since Hitler was trying to exterminate an entire people group, the right thing to do was to evacuate people as fast as possible mm-hmm. and then let the powers that be powers. So like civil authorities, this is why there was a war 
civil authorities are there to protect people. And sometimes civil authorities have delegated authority by God to take down evil empires Mm. and evil people. So like you and me, God has not given me the authority to take down an evil empire or an evil ruler. He has not, but he has given it to other people in charge. Uh, The Marine Corps, the United States Army, like that kind of thing. They have been delegated authority by God. That civil authority is very important to God. Um, And he delegates authority for right, for the protection of people. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that, that is, that is good. Um, but I I was going to say something though. Um, oh, but like American politics right now for the last, I mean, for 50 years probably, but really in the last, with the last three presidents, um, like under the presidency of Donald Trump, the entire news media decided that they were going to be outright blunt, blunt, like blatantly disrespectful to the person who was president. And that's wrong. That's wrong. He's st- uh, whether or not you like the orange man with the weird hair, he was still the president of the United States. You blatant disrespect and dishonor is wrong. But then when Joe Biden is president, well, the news media is they love they love him love him but then the people who like Donald Trump did they're doing the same thing that they didn't like the other people doing mm-hmm. they're blatantly disrespect like you don't have to like them to honor them they still hold the position and i'm wondering i one i'm i think part part of the reason we have such like angst and and division in the united states is because we can't at, le- at least agree to honor who's currently in authority, mm. and we take it out on each other. Yep. Like we th- we literally take it out on each other. This in so in the Old Testament in Numbers, um, when the people rebel against Moses, it, it Korah. causes Kor- well, it happens several times. Miriam and Aaron do it. Mm. Yeah. The spies yeah. okay. who go into Canaan do it. It just happens over and over and over again, and um. One, they forfeit the they forfeit the promise. They forfeit where God wanted to take them until a new generation. Mm-hmm. So God, God will choose new generations if He wants to. But um, the rebellion, all it did was cause cause tension amongst the people. Moses never stopped being the leader until he died, and then Joshua took over. But all it did, it just created tension amongst the people. Um, and the people are the ones who ended up um, suffering for it, and, and so I, th- I, do, I think there's something there. In in the book, they D- David requests a that the story of Korah's rebellion uh, be told to him, mm-hmm. and I, I love the line in the book. It says, uh, "The man who carries the rod of God of God's mm-hmm. authority should be mm-hmm. meek." Mm-hmm. Which I I don't know if I've said this to you or I, I've said it to so many people. Um, Jimmy Golden, uh, an elder at at our church, gives mm-hmm. the old illustration of meekness by placing mm-hmm. a like a forty five pound plate, metal mm-hmm. plate on the ground, and then like mm-hmm. a fifty pound dumbbell, and says, "Can you set this dumbbell down on the plate without making a single noise?" Mm-hmm. Well, all the weak people who can who have to use two hands and they squat over it, they're gonna they're gonna drop it and it'll make a ton of noise. 
Yeah. And it takes a super, super strong person to be gentle as they're setting it yeah. down. So yeah. the illustration is that you have to be meekness is being so strong that you can be gentle. Yeah. Which wow. is like, Oh, okay. That's, that's so good. That's, yeah. And there's, and that's, th- a good that's illustration. where the peace be. You have to have peace be, that passes understanding in order to get to that point yeah. where you, you're like, okay, if you actually, if you want to submit to God's will, then you, you understand that God is in control no matter what. You have to believe then that whatever is happening is in his will, whether mm-hmm. you disagree with the authority at the time yeah, or whatever. That is God's will. You need to honor it. Yeah. And there it can be it can be wounding at times, right? So let let's talk about yeah. the wounding thing. Well, I want I do want to say just for the people who are listening, God's will is a very toughy theological thing to uh to uh um handle because there's there's two aspects of God's will. I actually just learned this. Um because in like the New Testament and Paul writes to Timothy, it's God's will that all people not perish. Mm-hmm. But some people perish. And so there's somehow there's an obstruction to what he wants done in that regard. You said that was in Timothy. But then there are, yeah. Okay. I'll, First Timothy. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Um, God does. It says that God. It's the will of God that none should perish and that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But that doesn't happen. Um, do you hear Noah crying? Um, uh, way in the background. Yeah. Yeah. She. She's. She's kind of sick today. Hmm. Yeah, so we'll see if she goes back to sleep. But and she's been having a hard time napping. Um, so like, because you want to, you want to like, as people contemplate the worst things in the world, you got to give people a little bit of space to wonder, like, how could that have possibly been God's will? You know, um, like. If all authority comes from God, why did he raise up evil tyrants? Like, why did he do that? Um, <laughs> you take somebody way smarter than me to answer that question, but history has been filled with evil tyrants. Hitler's not the first evil tyrant. What? Um, no, like, they're just, they're just filled, and it'll forever be a mystery to me. But throughout the the New Testament, it's just evil, evil, evil. And actually, so you're like, is that the will of God that he raised up these people? And I think one of the things you have to remember is you live in an evil, broken, cursed world. Like there is a there is a belief um, in prosperous countries, especially that the world, the earth is inherently uh, a good place and that people are inherently good and they only make mistakes. And that's, that's not true at all. That you you have all you have to do is leave your suburban neighborhood, and see that that's true. Like I, I just had a friend who he just spent a year doing the grand jury for the Supreme Court Supreme Court of Colorado, and he had to cover cases that like he has to go see a counselor now because of the evil that was in the state of Colorado. The trauma, yeah, yeah. Like and that you go you go any other place in the world where it's no, it's not safe. You have like you have to remember like a lot of things when bad things happen and evil people find their way into power, it's because you live in a cursed world and people are sinful and evil Mm -hmm. and they have always wanted to do what's right in their own eyes. And it takes God raising up those leaders to let them fall because evil always falls. And then he raises up good leaders amongst the people as best he can. He's always looking for shepherd Kings, which is 
people people who are leaders among the people, not Tower of Babel above them. I'm going down a whole rabbit trail. Uh, rabbit trail. Sorry. Okay. Let's let's get into the the wounding, the the message of brokenness. Yep. Um. Again, the recurring theme of of the book. What do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Um, yep. There's a lesson to be learned in every situation. This book was written. Was it in the 70s, 80s originally? Somewhere in, I think in the 80s. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Where the I'll, church had a little bit of authority problem in the 80s. People were lording their authority over others. Right. Yep. And there's a lot of yep. broken Christians who left the faith because of it. Yes. So this this book is kind of a, a response to that in that um, broken, bro, being broken, being wounded by people in authority is mm-hmm. a learning experience for mm-hmm. not for necessarily like knowledge um like book knowledge but some sort of how how you deal with things as a person life experience mm-hmm. i guess um just dealing with things in, in a more proper lay, proper way yeah. i must become less so that he may become more yeah so um yeah, there's a, there's a mystery to that kind of suffering. Um, and the reason I keep using the word mystery is because uh, not everything can be explained. You can recognize it without explaining it with words. So James in chapter one, you love this passage. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Mm-hmm. Um, so that the testing of your faith may um, produce endurance. But then you have to let endurance have its full effect so that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Mm-hmm. You're like, what does that mean? You're like, something about enduring under trial makes you perfect and complete, lacking nothing that is good for life. Um, now, perfect being like uh, sinless? No, 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 not that, mm-hmm. not that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it gives you like this, this, uh, this wisdom and understanding of that life is a suffering journey that somehow. Um, crushes the seed of your life and to turn it into something glorious in a different day. Um, all crops come from dead seeds and suffering is how you kill the seed inside of you uh, that wants to produce something that's not good so that something good may come. Um, yeah. And so a lot of times, unfortunately that comes at the hand of the people who are your overseers. Yep. Um, but one day <clears throat> you're going to be an overseer. Uh, you might be an overseer in your church you might be an overseer at your place of work. You're de- you're probably going to have kids. You're going to be an overseer of your kids, and I guarantee you're going to do something to hurt them. Mm. It's going to happen. And you got you got to remember, like just how somebody hurt you, you're going to do that to somebody else. And I want you to think, like, how would you want them to respond? Do you want them to tell you that you could have done a better job? Because every parent in the world who's raised kids knows, like, oh, I probably could have done a better job. <laughs> that. No, I have never met a parent who's like nailed it. Like not not one. Um maybe well the people yeah, who the said that they did it who probably believe that they did a good job can't even They're 20 and they have kids. Or or they I've never they the best parents I know are single people. Or they <laughs> uh what, what, 
Well, what was I about to tell you? Oh, they, Sorry. it's a, sometimes it's impossible to see the errors in your own ways. Oh, I think it's absolutely impossible. Yeah. That's why you need, you need other people who can, um, uh, iron sharpens iron. You need somebody of at least your caliber to get any sharper. Um, and it helps you like see your blind spots. Mm -hmm. Um, the heart of man reflects the face or the face of man mirror reflects face. The heart of man reflects the man. Um, and so other people can see what's in your reflection that you can't see. Yeah. There's all it, but, um, I'm going to have to go get Noah soon, I think. Well, I have, Poor to, girl. I have to use the bathroom. So this is actually perfect. So we went over the book, um, uh-huh. Tale of Three Kings, Study in Brokenness. It's every time you read it, you pick up something new. It absolutely it takes you about 45 mm-hmm. minutes, maybe an hour to read the whole thing nonstop. It, maybe by your fifth time. Your first time, it'll take maybe an hour and a half. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, you'll get punched in the face a few times and be like, I just need to set this down and ponder yeah that's the kind of the purpose because the book is like it is a punchy in the face kind mm-hmm. of book yep so i recommend it to anybody who anybody anybody needs to read it even if you're not even a believer um because there's still less lessons in leadership and uh honoring mm-hmm. authority so yep. that's the book be a david not a saul or an absalom even though you already are <laughs> cool you probably are any yes. closing remarks um, yeah, but definitely by the book. Re- I read first and second Samuel every year, probably two or three times a year because it's, it's one of the best leadership books I've ever read. Um, and I get something new out of it every single time I read it. And that, that those books in conjunction with, with the tale of three Kings, I think will improve how you see your work, your family, um, and political authority right now, which is something that we all need as a country. Um, I'm I'm fully aware that things are not as they should be. And I'm I'm not endorsing anything that has happened or anything any movement or anything like that. But what I am what I am um advocating and saying is like what we have been trying to do to fix it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um the the idea that um Christians should follow I hear one of my favorite political commentators actually says this all the time. Like if you're going to change the rules of the game, we're going to play by those rules too. And I, I just don't think that's a good thing to do. Um, I'm not going to burn down cities because I want things better. I'm not going to storm the Capitol because I want things better. Like I'm just, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to use my voice and try to build something just like you are trying to use your voice to build like where you are. Use your voice to build something. Respect the or honor the authority that is there. Don't degrade. You're all because all you're doing is splitting, splitting people that are around you. Mm-hmm. And it's not, not helpful. Progress. Yep. You're not. You know, you're not. You're not doing anything. All you're doing is ca- causing division. Yep. It, it, against somebody, something you can't change. You're gonna get um, back into it. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I. I, right. I, I. It's just hard for me. Where we are, and. Um, I would love to see things changed. So, but read those books. It's a great book. It will hit you in the face. All change on earth starts with you. All change on earth starts with you. So, uh, start there and then work your way outward. All right. Well, thank you for uh, talking with me. That's all we have for now. See you next time.